lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. Got another special guest with me today. We have been following each other for a minute, and I think that he's got a very uh, solid outlook that with a much-needed voice in this community, so wanted to have him on to talk. It is at Latinos for Lib, Latinos for Liberty. Welcome aboard, brother. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem, man. Uh, you go by... Uh, should I call you Latinos for Liberty, or are we, we staying anonymous? Or? <laughs> no, you can call me David. All right, cool. <laughs> Well, I'm, yeah. I'm Clint. Nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you as well. <laughs> um, so anyways, I, I, I've been uh, ruminating on this Vin Armani guy for a minute. Uh, are you familiar with him at all? Vin Armani? I can't say that I am. Okay. Well, I think that you'll, you'll be really interested in his ideas. So I, I would recommend you check him out. But um, okay. it, very, very interesting career and story arc. He actually was a gigolo. <laughs> and interesting yeah but now he's like he's like this kind of religious evangelical libertarian or mm. ancap oh, fa- okay. fascinating dude he he was on the show on i think it was on showtime back in the day uh called gigolos and his name was vin armani so anyways um i i found him from that show back then which i thought was just a hilarious you know like reality tv show right and now he's like this thought leader in our movement which is uh, a bizarre turnaround but anyways mm. uh so he his theory is that essentially and, and i you're you're religious to some extent aren't you uh to some extent yeah what did you used to be jehovah's witness or am i mistaken no i actually used to be um jewish <laughs> jewish that's right okay <laughs> yeah so yeah so like right now um I, I say I'm somewhat religious because there's remnants of, you know, the, the whole observance part of Judaism that still linger within me. Like, you know, like I don't eat pork and uh, I don't like really celebrate any other holidays outside of Jewish holidays and, um, you know, things of that nature. But overall, I mean, I can't really say that I am religious because uh, like by Judaism standards, I'm definitely not religious. You know, I just have like <laughs> I just have like the, the the cultural aspect of it is still like kind of ingrained in me. And it's more of just like, you know, a thing of habit at this point, um, the things that do um, linger. Um, but but like, you know, I'm not like in a synagogue or anything on Saturday, you know, <laughs> doing my prayers or anything like that. Right. Well, it's funny because um, I, I totally read into many of your your tweets it is a religious, you know, undertone so it definitely yeah. it definitely still hangs in there can right. i ask can i ask why you why you left if you if you consider yourself having left um sure um I, i'm i'm kind of i wouldn't say that i left um because whenever like i say like i i do celebrate the holidays so i'm like a holiday jew <laughs> you know like <laughs> if i'm ever going to be in a synagogue it's going to be like on days like yom kippur or you know um shavuot things like that oh that sounds uh, like uh, most christians anyways yeah yeah and most jews too uh, yeah. most jews are just holiday jews but um uh so yeah there is like an undertone because i do i do like religious people like even like religions that are not my own um like i i thoroughly enjoy seeing christian uh libertarians i think that that's just um such an amazing uh standpoint because 
uh, you know, just as humans, we have that that um, urge to kind of rule that with our ideology, you know, and um, I see a lot of Christians in the Republican Party that they feel the need to, you know, infuse their beliefs into um, politics. And so when I come across um, Christians um, or any religious person who is um, a libertarian, uh, I just uh, thoroughly admire that person um, just for just for that reason alone, because I believe that freedom of like advocating for freedom is advocating um, for your best interests as a religious person. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of religious people miss that mark. Yeah, but if you, know. you can create the if you can create the atmosphere for freedom, then you can freely practice your religion, you know, you but go. if you if you are advocating to infuse your religion into politics, then that means that somebody later down the line is going to come and do the opposite to you and it's going to infringe upon your religious observance, you know, so and I, so I just think it's very short sighted for us um, to to uh, use our religion when it comes to politics, I think it's extremely short sighted. Interesting. Well, uh, then, then I will be very interested to hear what you have to say about uh, Vin's outlook. So, uh, mm. essentially, his his argument is that, you know, uh, I think a really good example of of what I'm talking about would be to to point to our complete failure to prevent the lockdowns by using, you know, graphs, logic, argumentation that that would you know appeal to rational people. Right. I mean, we we've been ran over by um, a scientifical, essentially emotional arguments and. And it seems as if most people in the liberty movement are not taking from that the message that they should, which is that this is not a rational moment. You know, right. we're, we're dealing with, in my view, essentially cult-like behavior. And, right. and you, don't, you don't usually rationalize people out of cult-like behavior. You have to make a more compelling emotional argument. And that's essentially Vin's argument is that, that libertarians lose because we we rely on facts logic and we we dismiss kind of the the spiritual the emotional the more compelling argument that that actually gravitates with the average man what's your take right. on that do you think that we've that he's on the right track or or would you recommend uh, avoiding uh, religion when it comes to pushing the liberty message um, I think that if it's done within the parameters of liberty, I think that it's a, um, uh, an excellent point to make. Um, another person who grasps, grasps onto emotion uh, more than your average libertarian is Larry Sharp. Yeah, uh, he's big. He's big on, on on that, like considering people's feelings, and um, and so I can kind of see um uh, um uh, Vince. What is it, Vince Armani? You said. It's just Vin, V-I-N. Oh, yeah. Vin Armani. I can see uh, his his point of view as it pertains to the spiritual part of life, because, you know, whether we're religious or not, I do believe that there is a spiritual uh, realm um, or something, you know, there's something uh, bigger than our physical, um, our physical being, you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, I, I do believe that appealing to, um, to that realm that we kind of all can feel or, or even, um, you know, be uh, influenced by, I feel like tapping into something like that within the parameters of liberty, I think that that's actually a, a, an excellent strategy. But I, you know, of course, I'd have to hear more, I, I definitely will be following him uh, after we get off of this uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah, I won't, I won't uh, even attempt to do it justice. He's a, he's a very <laughs> compelling orator. And, and uh, it's just been, it's been really impactful on me, I think, because I'm more um, you know, when I was a kid, I was atheist, and then I I did some mushrooms, became agnostic. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh, that's right. I did see your mushroom post. Um, I think it was yesterday. Yeah, that's very interesting. See, I've done mushrooms before, but um, 
I've never uh, I've never had a full blown experience with it because I've only done it once. And oh, okay. uh, and I had one eighth and I split it with my wife. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, we and we, you know, we we're both in a, in a giggly mood and we were happy, like extremely happy. And, um, you know, it was cool, but we didn't get like the full blow of what mushrooms is supposed to bring us. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> well, you got you got to do a lot to to get to the uh, to the other side, as they call it. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, a, a half a half for me is that I'm so sensitive to it. A half for me is actually. Uh, even though I won't like leave my body or anything, it's still very much a uh, a spiritual experience. It's right. it's it's weird. I think for someone who grew up atheist, um, I, w- I mean, I wasn't raised atheist. I just was raised without uh, any church or you know right. any any parental guidance in that in that regard. And and right. kind of because my brain is formed how it is, I I logically deduce that you know. Uh, our existence is temporary, just like any other creature on this planet. And mm-hmm. that when we die, we're gone. And and I, I was very comfortable with that in a weird way. Um, right. But then I did mushrooms and I was like, oh, no, I'm part of everything. <laughs> <laughs> right. like, like it really it really did open uh, the third eye, so to speak. I, I was like I went in a firm, you know, believer in atheism and came out extraordinarily agnostic and i haven't ever lost that feeling i haven't even done mushrooms in like 15 years so this is not i'm not some tripper i'm not some like i don't smoke weed i'm i'm just i'm fairly fairly straight edge but uh for whatever reason you know that that drug just completely changed my worldview and and i guess i guess the reason i'm like i'm i'm drawing all these parallels is that I feel as if the uh, the liberty movement is is kind of disconnected from that human instinct of of not necessarily a higher power, but um, you know we we always make the argument, even our founders made the argument that that you have to you know you're endowed. Well, they hold it self evident that you're endowed by your creator. You know, it's like mm-hmm, right. these are religious men from the jump, and yep. and ultimately you are asserting something there without any actual facts behind it and i think that that's the thing that libertarians lack is like many of us want to i mean we we try to justify our freedom as Mm -hmm. opposed to just asserting it and i think that that's what made the founders so brilliant i don't know if you have i don't know even know if there's a question here but i'm just (laughs) throwing it out there to you yeah no definitely man and like um and honestly like when i was in judaism when i was just part of the religion um it was I, I, I felt like, uh, you know, like we were like tapping into some like different realms sometimes, you know, like I didn't really feel like a humongous spiritual connection. It wasn't until I started doing like a little further, like a little bit more um, diving into like the spiritual realm, you know, in, in Judaism, you know, they have the, the mysticism, the Kabbalah. And um, so I started actually going down that route just out of curiosity. And because I had a friend who was like really into it at that same time. And, um, and, I, and actually, that is what kind of um, opened up my eyes um, to kind of just step back from um, just the uh, separation that religion causes between the people. Because when you actually start getting into Kabbalah, you start seeing a lot of overlap with like Buddhism and, and just pretty much anybody who has their quote unquote third eye open. You start seeing a lot of similarities um, between the people. And I, and, I start, and I started just coming to my own conclusions of like, man, maybe religion is just... Um, uh, uh, us utilizing the tools that are available to us, but we're just like heavily restricted because it's so centralized. Yes. And you already know, like as libertarians, we're very um, pro decentralization. <laughs> so um, I kind of like took that um, that upon myself, even in my religious life. I was like, man, like I don't really 
feel the need to do what all these people are doing or what they're telling me to do. Like, I feel like I can tap into this, this uh, spiritual realm and utilize these tools to my advantage. And that's kind of how I see Christianity as well, um, believe it or not. And I'm, I'm actually um, a big, big fan of Christianity. Um, uh, when I read like um, the, the books of, uh, of um, you know, the New Testament, um, I see um, so much Kabbalah, you know, oh, right. I see so much Kabbalah written into it. It's like, it's crazy. Like when you see like Jesus says to, um, he says, I am the light of the world. And, um, you know, and you are, you must be the light too. And don't hold your light under a bowl. You know, you have to let your light shine. And I'm like, man, that sounds a lot like what I read in Kabbalah, you know, like Kabbalah is, you know, all about the light. And yep. so when you see the, the correlation between um, Jesus, who's talking about the light, and you see the Kabbalah, like, man, you can draw some serious connections to um, Jesus's Jewish background, you know, yeah. the things that he taught, you know, he was influenced by the people around him. And so um, I, I started drawing all these connections, um, as it pertains to Jewish, uh, uh, Jesus's Jewish background, yeah. um, to what I was raised with. And I'm like, man, like, if, if these Christians are following this man, like this man can actually bring enlightenment to the world if people actually followed him, you know, and, right. uh, you know, that the problem is with religion, and this is not specific to Christianity, this is probably every religion, is that um, they, they are extremely tribalistic, and they tap in more to their carnal side than they do to their spiritual side, right, right. you know, so um, uh, when I when I read Jesus, man, I'm like, I don't know if, if you've seen my posts, like, probably over the summer, or maybe a little bit after that, I started um, uh, drawing parallels to Jesus and libertarianism. Yeah. And it's because of that. I'm like, yo, like Jesus never advocated to um, to rule from the government. He never collaborated with the Roman government to get his, um, you know, beliefs passed or anything like that to infringe on the people. Jesus literally said to become fishers of men. This is like literally like well, stuff that you have to do on your own. <laughs> you know, right. this is not collaborating with the government to, to get things passed. Like the only people who collaborated with the government were the Jews that got Jesus killed. <laughs> you know? Exactly. There's, there's <laughs> so, a moral in that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm just like, man, um, uh, I'm thoroughly impressed with um, the things that I've read in the, in the New Testament. Um, so I especially have like a big um, uh, I have a heart for for the Christians in this country, um, who are especially those who are libertarian, because I believe that they they are getting they're they're getting it right. In, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, they're the ones that are focused on doing the work that Jesus said, you know, they're because like, you know, to to believe that you have to collaborate with the government to get um, your beliefs like passed, like that sounds a lot like the people who say Jesus was a socialist. Right. They say, like, if you want to care for your neighbor, you have to be a socialist, even though that's not what Jesus taught at all. Like Jesus taught an actual like uh, uh, effort that you have to make. Um, to help others and yeah, he basically taught others, he autonomy and autonomy and personal responsibility very exactly. very libertarian messages exactly so uh, yeah religion man religion is just very interesting to me it always has been um but my observance of religion has gone down drastically but um i feel like um the underlying things of religion like love and compassion and things of that nature um those are the things that grew within me um as i detached more from the religion sure well that makes sense and and just to add to the the corollaries that you found beh uh, between Judaism and Christianity. I've been kind of loosely practicing Buddhism for a number of years. I had a really severe anxiety disorder in my mid twenties and, and just mm -hmm. out of necessity, I, I sought, um, you know, mindfulness meditation 
and mm-hmm. and through that i found uh, a lot of peace that i had never had before a capacity to control my mind in a way that i hadn't before wow. uh, a, a capacity to control my mind uh, by not attempting to control my mind which was the most you know counterintuitive thing for someone like <laughs> right. me uh, and the most challenging aspect but uh, i had always called it kabbalah, uh, kabbalah but you it's kabbalah yeah, Kabbalah, Kabbalah, Kabbalah. Okay. I always say things with an accent. Sometimes I don't even know if it's a Hebrew <laughs> accent or a Spanish accent. <laughs> my family, they say everything. Like when when my when like my family gets together, like say for like Hanukkah, and we have like a little Hanukkah like celebration or service, like everything's in Spanish. <laughs> you know? So a lot of the words that I say, man, like like you hear another Jew say, and they'll say Kabbalah, and yeah. then I'll say I'll come and say Kabbalah. <laughs> you know? That will just sound like extremely ethnic. <laughs> I, so I, I don't even it. know what's right. <laughs> so the, the reason I'm asking is, is there, is there a meditative practice or, or what, what is the, the next level of uh, Kabbalah that, that, you know, makes it you is, feel a is. corollary? Yeah, it, it's all meditative. Um, and that's why I say there's a lot of um, overlap with like Buddhism, um, because it's, it's all about, um, it's like, it's about, it's, it's almost like if you're treating yourself, like you're the God and you're the one that's constructing your reality. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's and that's really what um, Kabbalah teaches. But, it, you know, obviously it teaches a lot, a lot more than that, than the meditative practice. Like it does teach you um, to to that, you know, what it means to spread the light. And um, and it is helping others. That's why I started drawing the correlation between Kabbalah and Jesus, because, um, you know, it is about helping other and like the, the things that like Jesus said um, that impacted me um, so much that I just feel like it's just like a, a deep thing to 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 put on the people is that um when he says um uh, i'm trying to remember so i don't butcher this because you know i don't know if any christians are going to listen to this and <laughs> get offended by me misquoting but he well, said something along the lines they, they should be um, forgiving <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> so he said something along the lines of um uh if you have given unto these you have done so unto me you know like it, uh, he's he uh, I think it was like a scenario where he was um, uh, talking to the people who made it into the kingdom and those who didn't. He said to those who did, he said, you clothed me, you fed me, you gave me shelter, you know, um, you know, welcome. And then to the others, he said that um, you walk right past me. You did this. You did that. And then these people were like, well, we've we've never even seen you. But he said, but he told them, he said, if you have given unto the least of these talking about the poor people on the streets, then you have given to me. And I thought that that was a tremendous, tremendous message right there, because I have never seen a leader um, uh, talk in that manner, that if you have given to the poor, you have given to me. And I think that that's very, very powerful. So when I so when I see things like that, I'm like, man, and in Kabbalah, like um, to 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 master um, like the books of the Kabbalah, which is the Zohar. It's like a huge volume of books written by uh, a man named Shimon Bar Yochai. to 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 master all of that is to is considered to master your father's secrets and when you master kabbalah you're considered a son of god wow so i started drawing that correlation i'm like jesus is the son of god you know and, and when you read the new testament maybe 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 there's the correlation there is that he has mastered his father's secrets and now he is a son of god i got you, know? you. So, yeah so yeah, it's, yeah. yeah well, it's, and, it's and it's funny because the the inverse of what you just described is exactly how government functions. It's that in order to give to the poor, you must give to me, you know, like right. they, they are always taking away the direct yeah. resource line and, and making it as if, you know, you're not only must you give to the government to help the poor, but, you know, giving directly is not enough and you can be put in prison. Right. <laughs> like, right. like it's, it's 
almost satanic in that regard. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. But the, uh, the, it's funny that you, you keep bringing up that the, the light, um, mm -hmm. a, a very common meditative practice is that you actually imagine a, a, uh, a pinpoint of light within your, your chest. And then mm -hmm. as you do your breathing, you, you imagine it growing. So the, it's, it's, it's really trippy, man. The, the corollaries between all of the religious practices and, mm -hmm. and the messages that, that humans receive from them. Um, mm -hmm. It almost, it, I mean, I don't know. It's, it, it's just, there's so many similarities. It's, it's hard to, it's yeah. hard to feel as if that message didn't come from some higher power, yeah. but, uh, right. but perhaps it's just how we're made up. You know, I, I still have my atheist <laughs> roots yeah. that go back to like trying to explain this all away. But right. at the end of the day, I'm just, it's, it's bigger than me. It really is. Right. Oh no. And that's, and that's just how I feel at the end of the day is that there are tools available to us in the spiritual realm, like meditation and just tapping into like different energies. And I feel like religions are just attempting to do that, to utilize those tools. And oftentimes they miss the mark, but I, but I, but I do know that like in each religion, you'll come across some very righteous upstanding people. And they're usually the fringe on um, weirdly enough. It's you, it's always the ones that are wildly decentralized from the mainstream religion itself. But um, uh, well, yeah, that man, sounds like, that sounds like anarchism too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so that, that actually like plays a part into um, uh, my uh, political beliefs too, because I believe that there are humongous pockets of truth hidden in the fringe groups. And I just think that fringe groups get a bad rap you know well yeah and sometimes they get burnt in their compounds i mean yeah it's uh <laughs> right. it, it, re it really does go to show you know how much government um you know hates <laughs> the yep. fringe elements of society and then i think that's probably why i embrace right. them so much and, and <clears throat> it's funny i've been watching you know during lockdown you got nothing but time on your hands so i've been watching mm -hmm. all these documentaries about uh ne nexium you ever heard of that Nexium. It sounds familiar, but yeah. I, I don't know too much yeah. about it. Yeah, I'll just give you a brief recap. But it, it's basically this, uh, you know, quote unquote cult. It's kind of a sex cult, and and it's got this. Uh, I forget his name, but anyways, it's kind of a singular, you know, godlike figure within the movement. And mm -hmm. um, <laughs> he had Alex Mack. Do you remember her TV show back when we were kids? I don't know. Oh yes, yeah. Anyways, she was like she was like the the most famous member of it. But this this dude okay. this dude like had all like the women uh alex mack like was his right hand chick and she would get his you know harem of women to all all brand themselves and and it's just mm -hmm. so funny because like uh even though you know obviously i don't find that appealing personally but mm -hmm. um simultaneously i'm like i always i always struggle to judge cult like behavior because i'm just like well they're you know it's all voluntary you know it's right. like like if you want to do weird stuff on your own time with adults that are consenting, I could care less. And, and it, right. and it's funny because people always want to imprison um, anyone that goes down that path. And, and obviously right. sometimes it leads to, to dangerous stuff, but sometimes yeah. it leads to really beautiful communities. So right. I just feel like we should kind of let them live and let live kind of mentality, but I, I know I people, people will be upset that, that I think a sex, sex cult is okay, but I really do. Like I could care less. Like it, I don't, I don't have to participate. What, what difference does it make to your life? It's, it's fascinating to me that people are so um, interested in control. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, and I, and I'm 100% on board with you on that, man. Like, I don't have to like something to, um, to agree with it, you know, and mm -hmm. that that's something that a lot of people struggle with, man. And um, so I kind of limit uh, my, um, 
my messaging on certain items just because of how it's perceived because people think that when you do when you are okay with certain things or if you want certain things just to be legal that you are promoting that thing you know exactly like, yeah, that's, why we're, well, that's why we're always drug addicts in every yeah diet. exactly exactly so and and i feel like that's such a cheap shot against libertarians um but you know you know what you're gonna do we have to i guess we that just comes with the territory but a lot of people in the libertarian movement they're very pro-sex work and um right. and me you know i i'm, I'm not a, i'm not against it being legal at all like I, I believe that we have autonomy over our bodies and that it should not be illegal no one should be going to um to jail or getting any type of repercussions for sex work mm-hmm. you know as long as it's voluntary and um but like you say that and now you're promoting sex work, you right, know, that's right. the way it's perceived, even though like me, like I personally, I would never promote that. I just think that people who do it should not go to jail. Exactly. You like, know? <laughs> like, like, it's so funny that that, um, you know, the uh, the arbiters of morality in our modern society is like if you support it, um, it's. It, you shouldn't be imprisoned. And if you're against it, you should be imprisoned like right. that. That is so that is so barbaric. You know, it's right. like, yep. I don't, I don't support, I don't support Marxists for, you right. know, and we're right. surrounded by them, but at the yep. same time, I don't necessarily, unless they're government officials, I don't want them in prison. Uh, right. <laughs> I am, a, I am a radical in that regard that I, uh, I, I definitely am more in favor of, uh, <laughs> of an incarceration for politicians that, that take our freedoms and, and shred the constitution. Um, I yeah. guess we'll, we'll pivot from, from the religious talk, I appreciate you. Let me let me take us down that path. I'm sure you didn't expect oh, yeah. it, but oh um, yeah, no problem, no problem at all. <laughs> uh, so, what what is? Um, well, I, I guess we should take a quick step backwards. What what brought you to to? Well, do you consider yourself libertarian, anarcho capitalist? Where where are you at? Um, I consider myself libertarian. Um, I do. I have like um, the, you know, the, that internal struggle is like that. That pragmatist in me is at war with the ideologue in me, and um, <laughs> so I try. I try not to um, to be an ideologue. Like I do have an ideology. An ideology. Libertarian is what I consider myself. Sure. Um, you know, and just like every other ideology, um, there is no such thing as a utopian. Like every ideology has its utopian view, um, but there's like no real way of ever achieving that and actually being a utopia. You know. So I try to separate um, my ideologue um, self from my pragmatic self. So the way that I try to, um, you know, do things is that my 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 ideology is my North Star and then um, pragmatic solutions are my journey to get there. You know, so I I do consider myself libertarian, but um, just like, you know, every other libertarian, if I were to, um, like, say, run for office, I would have a bunch of libertarians telling me that I'm not libertarian (laughs) because I believe in pragmatic solutions. I don't believe that um, things are going to switch from, you know, one to 100 overnight, you know, just like, um, for example, like education, like I would love for the Department of Education to be completely dismantled. But, you know, we can't go from having what we have now to having no public education because there is there is no buffer be in between those. You know, so mm-hmm. it's going to it's going to give libertarianism a bad rap because there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of consequences from going from just switching from, you know, what we have now to having no public schools at all. Yeah. You know, yeah, so so my that- pra- pragmatic solution is to first decentralize the power and instead of funding the institutions, we fund the students. You know, uh, you I, I'm not sure if you follow Corey DeAngelis. I do. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. So he's, he, he kind of opened my eyes to that view. And so when I say things like that, like we should fund the student instead of the institution, you know, people will look at me and say, Oh, you know, he's a fake libertarian, but you know, for me, that's a pragmatic solution. Like first we are, all right, we, we have two things here. We have the power and we have taxpayers money. Right. If we can decentralize that power, I consider that a libertarian win. You yeah. know, if we oh, can for sure compared to where we are now, of course. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, see, we can say there's no more public institutions. Now, everybody can take these dollars and go to wherever they'd like to go. To me, that's a, that's a wild victory right there, because, you know, yeah, having public institutions, that's just um, those are indoctrination centers. So that's the way that I view them. Well, and, um, and also your, your pragmatic approach is, is necessary because we have such an indoctrinated population. Like if you're right. unwilling to allow you know, for a generation of kids that are either, um, you know, put in charter schools or, or hopefully additional homeschooling or, or, you know, micro schools where like you have a, a community teacher kind of deal. Um, right. If you can't, if you can't break that, the existing paradigm and allow for people to uh, kind of evolve a little bit, right? it would be, it would be madness. It would be havoc if we were to just end all public schooling. Like you're not going to, overnight just because we stop paying taxes you're not going to be able to to you know garner the necessary financial support to right. have everyone go to private schools like it's just right. not going to happen overnight so i i don't think there's anything wrong with that i i think that as long as your end goal is is similar to the more ancap minded oh, yeah. um i think that's reasonable and and anyone that would push back would kind of be you know an ideologue. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. The end goal, like I said, my North star is the, my ideology. Um, so I just, I just feel like there has to be steps to reach that, you know, yeah. instead of going, you know, overnight, like an overnight change. Well, what's your, what are your steps to take uh, to, you know, end the lockdowns and the, uh, <laughs> I don't know, and everything that we've experienced in 2020 there, the list is too long. So what, what, what well, is your thing? that that's one thing where we're we're as a civilization we can this only step we need to do is just end the lockdowns right yeah. <laughs> you know that's step we, one yeah because um you know we we were functioning properly you know without these government lockdowns and the the places that are still open um you know they're functioning properly even um with all the rules you know in place that people are following uh, i think that we've got it down pat man i think that if we were to end the lockdowns that we can expect to see um like large participation in people um you know requiring masks to enter their stores you know as much as as much as i don't like really like wearing masks at all um and i don't wear a mask i wear a bandana just because i have a beard <laughs> and it's just way easier uh, and i know the bandana is not blocking anything but uh it, it, you know it keeps the people quiet so you know whatever but um but man like this is I the would, first would, time a, a latino guy can go into a store wearing a bandana and no, not get, not get yelled at. <laughs> and, and i feel weird doing it because i walk in with a black bandana on my face <laughs> looking like i'm about to like stick the place up but, hey man i'm just complying with the rules <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah i think that we can go overnight you know go back to normal as it pertains to the lockdowns i believe that 100 that we can go back to normal um i'd rather have a situation where uh, we are we aren't locked down and um and the only thing is that we have to wear masks inside even small businesses um but if you know that's only if they require them you know, right. the business requires it. if they don't you know then the people should be free to go in without a mask at all of course. Yeah. I mean, it should, it should be voluntary agreements and, and respecting yeah. the property rights. Like it, it seems, it seems like such a, a simple answer to this madness, but, mm -hmm. but ultimately we've had, 
basically a scientific takeover of of our political system and and yep. and in my opinion an ascientifical one and i guess this this draws back to to the religious conversation that we began with is that um the reason i'm i've softened on my atheistic views even more so as i've gotten older is that i really believe that humanity has a desire for um answers to things that they don't understand and and right. in the absence of religion it to me it it seems pretty clear that the vast majority of people, or maybe not the vast majority, but a, a huge percentage of our population, probably a plurality, have have now adopted statism as their religion. And I, I don't see how anyone can think that that's better than people being religious, you know, like yep. more classically <laughs> religious. Well, do you right. think that that's a, a fair analysis? Oh, 100%. Yes. And I think that that's been the state's goal. They they want the they want the people to have the faith their faith in the state and not in their god. Right. You know? Have and, Have uh, you read Have you read Anatomy of the State by Rothbard? Yes, I have several yeah. times. Uh, it's a, it's an excellent book, man. And, and and he he nails that point. He actually says it in there. He says that that mm -hmm. uh, you know you should you should basically fear. I, I don't remember the quote, but you should fear um, science being. God, I wish I could remember how he said it, but I'll, mm -hmm. I'll try and I'll try and uh, you know get the get the actual quote when I post this. But yeah. it, it's essentially that that the state will will take on the authority of science, and right. and once that happens, look out, you know. And and yeah. that that to me has been the the telltale um, story of 2020 is that you know uh, there's yeah. there's vastly different differing opinions when it comes mm -hmm. to. Uh, how we should be addressing this uh, pandemic, even amongst scientists. But right. if you were to listen to government scientists, it is they are of one mind, you know. And it's just it's yep. just such an ascientifical process. But it doesn't matter. And and we and they now have all of these you know atheistic lefty type folks that that talk about Fa Fauci as if he's a deity. Yep. It's just like, <laughs> how do we break that mold? I mean, without without religion, it seems to me that that this is where this is our future, you know, and right. it, do you think that there's some sort of hybrid option? I mean, obviously, I would love for them all to be libertarian and to be uh, to rely on themselves. But I just don't I'm not sure that like like you were talking about with the school stuff. I'm not sure that we can we can jump to that. Like we're going to need some sort of interim and, and I think or interim solution. I think that perhaps perhaps people becoming more religious is that solution to the, the, the new status religion. Right. Oh man. That's a, that's a tough question right there, man. Cause I even saw they made, um, didn't they make like Christmas Eve, like Dr. Fauci day or something? Yeah, dude. Crazy. Like, how do you, how do you do that to Christmas Eve man? <laughs> <laughs> of all holidays? Like I, I, I thought that that would have had people up in arms. Like if you try to do that on the eve of like Ramadan, <laughs> or if you try to do that, Oh on my the God. Poor, like there would be hell to pay yeah we, but, we celebrate the birth of the antichrist right before the birth of christ right <laughs> oh my god that's perfect <laughs> I think if, if, they, if they meant it in that regard i wouldn't have a problem with it but that's not what they mean right <laughs> yeah i just thought that was so insane and very cult-like man and uh that's that's a difficult question to get people to not rely on the state and and not worship it as if it were their religion um i think that i think education is going to play a huge role in that like the 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 um what we were talking about earlier like decentralizing the power in our um education and pretty much uh, abolishing public institutions i think right. that that's going to be step one but i don't think that um 
it's it's something that can happen overnight like you mentioned i think as you mentioned um i think that it is going to take uh, like maybe a couple generations before that can happen but first what would have to have to happen is that we would have to uh, decentralize the power in um in the department of education in my opinion oh yeah because um, it's these new kids man like just people just a little bit younger than me i'm 31 um just my cousins who are like 28 27 they're a totally different type of person already yeah. like they've been indoctrinated in a way that i haven't and uh so maybe i just made the cutoff you know in, in education or i don't know what happened well i'll i'll confirm your assumption you're you're correct mm-hmm. I, I mean i'm 38 and yeah and I have, I play beach volleyball, so I'm friends with a bunch of, you know, youngsters. Yeah. Um, so I've got this whole group of friends that are in their 20s and then, you know, early 30s all the way up to my age. And, and yeah, the, uh, the 20-somethings, my God, <laughs> you know, like, like if that's our future. And, and I love these people, so don't get me wrong. I'm not like, right. I'm not demonizing them in that regard. But the, the idea is the indoctrination that they've received. Uh, we have a steep hill, hill to climb. You know, it's right. just uh, no. Oh, yeah. No, no other way to put it. It's like these people have been indoctrinated with some really sick ideas. And, yeah. and even if they're still good people in their core, um, you know, good people with bad ideas are, are perhaps more dangerous than bad people with good ideas. Right. And right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. It, what, what, what's the, uh, uh, did you, did you go to college? Yes, I did. I went to uh, Rutgers university. Oh, nice. And, yeah. and did you not get wokeified from it? No, um, I don't know what happened, man. Like, I, maybe because I went to business school. Um, yep, same here. I got a business degree, so maybe that's why I didn't really, I didn't really like have that exposure to any type of woke stuff. And interestingly enough, it was in college. It was the first time I ever heard of Ron Paul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. Yeah. And it was in one of my business classes. Some some Puerto Rican kid. He was like, "Have you guys ever heard of Ron Paul? If not, I highly suggest you look into him." Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Like, I just wrote down his name, Ron Paul, you know, and, and it wasn't until like maybe like a year or two later that I actually even got to know who he was. Wow. But, um, yeah, well, man, talk, I, talk about a butterfly effect. That's cool. I know. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Um, so is that, and, and is that, that, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and that kid, it makes like total sense because that kid who said that um, he, his dad was the owner of a, bod- a bodega, uh, like a corner store, and he was the manager of it. So I'm like, of course, it's going to be the business owners who know about Ron Paul, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah, it's for sure. Who actually have skin in the game, who, who, you know, are hip to what freedom actually means. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that's, that's probably the scariest part about the the next generation is the antagonistic and you know almost bordering on demonization of small business owners it's like it's like these these are people that have not only do they provide a service to the community but they've also taken themselves off of you know the dole like they've taken themselves off of relying on the state in in every regard these people should be looked up to and and modeled after and yet Many times they're viewed as, you know, the the pinnacle of evil capitalism. Yep. And and I, I just, man, I don't know. I don't know how we get people to fall back in love with that the idea of, you know, independence and, and working for yourself. But yeah. for me, I was, you know, just to give you a brief uh, bit of my background, I, my my dad was libertarian, so I, I got a a jump on all this. I was, I wasn't raised by him, but I spent one weekend a month with him and he was always, you know, jet setting and, and, uh, and running his businesses. But we would always do these like three or four hour car drives out to 
his, uh, his nightclub that he ran, that he owned and operated in, in uh, Ridgecrest, California. I was born in San Diego. So it was like a, it was like a four hour drive and he would just, he would just basically, um, talk to me about like our founding fathers and, and about entrepreneurialism and like, wow, in hindsight, what a, what a godsend to have had that, that influence as a five, six, seven year old kid. Um, but it, it made me fall in love with the idea of freedom and independence and financial um, freedom, most importantly. And I, I ended up working for my dad once I got older and then um, kind of forced him into retirement. I won't get into all that story, but <laughs> I, I started my own company as a mortgage broker um, nice. about seven years ago. And then I'm almost retired now. So it's, it's, awesome. been, it's been a, a very uh, parabolic increase from uh, the poverty of my 20s to borderline right. retired by 38. So it's, awesome, it's, man. yeah, it's, it's really cool. And, and I, you know, that, that's been kind of the, the purpose of my show is mm-hmm. to, you know, for those that are interested in these ideas to, to hear how it's done, you know, to hear that right. this, even in this sick system, it's still possible and it's harder. Right. It's probably harder than it's ever been. It's de- it definitely was harder for me than it was for my parents' generation. Yeah. Um, but it's not going to get easier, you know? So, so yeah, like yeah. <laughs> get, get on it now. I know you've got some entrepreneurial spirit for sure. I bought some masks from you back yeah. <laughs> during, during the early lockdown. So, uh, yeah. give me a little bit of background on what you're doing. Yeah. So, um, that, that was something that I took advantage of. Cause I remember when, um, when this, when this whole thing, like first started like COVID-19, uh, I was, I was like fearing for my life, man. Cause this was all brand new and you know, you had those propaganda videos from China of people just oh, dropping dude. like yeah, flies I was tripping. The <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yo, that's like, that resembles none of the symptoms that anyone has over here. So I don't know what those videos were, <laughs> but, um, but back then, you know, I thought that that was what COVID was. And, um, and so I remember when the, when the CDC finally made the recommendation for people to start buying masks. And so that same day, I, I was at work when that when I read that article. That same day, I went to like five different stores, and all the masks were sold out. And I started feeling like kind of panicky because I was like, "Yo, I'm like, I am the head of this house, man. Like this, the 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 safety of my family rests upon my shoulders." Because right. And you got kids too, right? House. Yeah, I have a, I have three kids. Yeah, that's so, that would be very intense. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, nobody else in my house is going to be responsible for my family. Not even my wife. My wife is, you know, she's the head of a house of the house as well, but I'm the head of security. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and, and so I'm the one that that's always on my mind. My wife is always keeping us all fed, you know, and the, you know, keeping the kids in line. But my job is to keep the family safe and secure and to always keep money in the bank account. He, you know? he keeps so, them, she keeps them fed. You keep them armed. Exactly. Yes. 100%. <laughs> so, um, yes, I was freaking out, man. So um, uh, when I saw that I couldn't get it anywhere, that's where I was like, man, I have a whole entire family. Like, you know, like my, my sisters, my mom, my dad, my aunts, uncles, right. I'm like, they probably are going to have problems um, finding uh, masks as well because they all live in populated areas. So um, that's when I made the decision to just buy in bulk. I just hopped on Alibaba and I just did like, a, I think like my first order was like an order of 700 masks. And um, I just like ordered it. I, I ordered it and it came in the mail like two or three weeks later. And um, I just posted on Craigslist that I had them for sale. And like in the same week, they all sold. <laughs> so I was like, holy shit. So I was like, I'm ordering another one, another batch. Yeah, and hell yeah. I was doing that for a little while. But then like 
um, the masks that were actually like cool to wear were not the, you know, the N95 masks anymore. It was just, you know, the black cloth or whatever color cloth that, you know, just hang over, hang over your, your face. So I wasn't selling those. So I'm not, I'm, currently I do have masks and, um, and, and I do get orders, but it's nothing like when it first started. Oh you know? yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's right now, like that's not like a source of income. Like I yeah. do have a nine to five job. Pa- okay. Pandemic model businesses don't last. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, like the fear, the fear was like my, my the main profit motive right there. You know, like everybody was scared. So, uh, you know, that was really good for profits. Now, not nobody's really scared anymore. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, but, um, that, I, I mean, that's progress as far as I'm concerned. It may have been bad for your business, yeah. but it's good for society. Oh, um, yes. The funny thing, the funny thing about your description is uh, of your, you know, your family structure is that many people would 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 say that your, your feeling of, you know, responsibility for protecting your family would be uh, kind of a, a toxic masculinity trait, yeah. which I think is so hilarious because yeah. that's like, <laughs> like, I mean, regardless of your opinion as to, you know, uh, gender and uh, whether or not there's a difference between men and women, it, it's just, it's just factually true that like, yeah. we are, we are built stronger and we should be responsible for defense of the family. And, and mm-hmm. I think that uh, it's a real problem when you have a, a generation of men raised to think that, that that's a negative. Um, right. I don't, I don't know what kind of a society you create once you go down that path, but it's not going to be a good one. I could promise right. you that like we, oh, 100%. <laughs> and I think that that's, that's another um, kind of symptom of the fact that people are now looking to the government for everything. It's like right. we've we've actually removed even the the inherent drive of men to protect their their family. Like, yeah. what what is a more healthy, honest, kind of beautiful, loving response from a man, from a man than to right. look after his family? Like, I don't even have kids, but when the pandemic hit, I had the same instinct you did. I was like, okay, I understand this better than my family. So mm-hmm. it is my duty to go out and buy, you know, uh, whatever I could get my hands on essentially, but, right. but mo- more importantly, because I knew that there would be a financial uh, collapse eventually from all of this insanity. I went out right. and I bought a ton of silver. So, <laughs> cause I was like, I was like, this financial meltdown is going to happen. And, and, you know, fortunately the financial meltdown's not here yet, but the, the silver I bought is like doubled in value. So it, wow. it's all good. Awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, man. That whole that whole culture of you know like toxic masculinity is is fucking retarded, man. I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of any other way to say that um, because <laughs> you know, and it, it's crazy because like when you think about the state, it doesn't benefit the state to have strong men leading their families, right? You know, so I always think about who are who are the real winners in um in whatever I'm looking, whatever situation I'm looking at. I always just try to think of who who benefits most from whatever it is that I'm looking at. So when I'm looking at toxic masculinity, who benefits most from weak men? And that's going to be undoubtedly governments, you know, so that automatically like has me questioning like, all right, so where is this teaching coming from? Is it coming from the far left, the the far left side? And is it coming from the universities? You know, just like in an an anatomy of the state, they draw the correlation between the state and the universities. And, you know, the university's main purpose in a state is to give credibility to the government, yep. you know, and um, 
and in exchange um, for the university doing that, the state gives them a tenure, which is a job for life, and they get prestige and you know everything that comes with it. So um, uh, when I when I see the core, like the, the 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 messages that are coming from the far left, I already know like most of these things are starting in the universities, and so that already is a huge red flag for me because the, the the main purpose of that university is to give credibility to the states and to help it grow. Yeah. You know, so um, their 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 list of of, uh, of goals doesn't even have education on it as far right. as I'm concerned. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. purely an indoctrination center. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just sets everybody up for failure, man. Like imagine living in a household, um, where the, like the man of the house is, um, not your protector. <laughs> it's like, if, if the man of the house is not your protector, you better have a strong ass mom, you know, right. and a lot of people do. And, and that's great, man. Yeah, um, no, I'm, I'm certainly, certainly not trying to knock that. I'm just saying, right. oh, yeah, no. if the, if the man's around, it's, it's nice for him to be the, the defender of the home, you know, he's yeah, more equipped for absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I was raised in, in a household where my dad was the man of the house. My mom was not the one you went to if you needed some protection or, or anything like that. My mom was there for nurturing purposes and to keep us fed and, you know, to keep us, uh, you know, happy and, you know, whatever. What moms do. My mom was awesome. Sure, sure. Um, my dad just had a totally different role. And maybe that kind of just rubbed off on me. But I know that when there's a noise in the middle of the night, it's me that's going to check it out. My wife will never be the one to check it out because I'm not, I can't even in good faith do that. No. I'm not going to sit and stay on the bed and be like, all right, go check that out. I'll wait here. <laughs> you know? Right. right. And, and, I don't know. I just, I, I'll just feel like a straight up bitch. <laughs> and, the, and the truth is for the, for the kid's sake, you know, it's important. It's, I think that the reason it's structured that way is that the, the mom is the nurturer. The man is the one that's more expendable. So we go yep. out there and we risk ourselves exactly. because we know that the mom has to be there for the children. Yep. Um, and you know, it's just, it's not even like, it's not even a really a, a cultural structure anymore, as much as it is just like, this is, this is what we've done for eons, you know, like, right. like you're fighting nature itself, yep. um, regardless of the culture that you exist in. It's, it's just how we're built. You know, you can right. fight it all you want. You can hate it all you want. You can demonize it all you want, but it is what we are built to do. So like, sorry, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah. sorry, I'm not sorry. Yeah, no. And, and shoot, my wife, shoot, when I go down, if I'm going downstairs to see what that noise is, you know, obviously I'm going to have a, a firearm in my hand and usually it's a 12 gauge. <laughs> right. <laughs> but my wife is the last line of defense, you know, because if, if I go downstairs and something happens to me, like she is there waiting with a gun as well, you know what right. I mean? Right. Like, well, that's good to have backup. Yeah, she's officially the last line of defense, but I'm I'm the infantry, you know, like I'm the one that <laughs> you're gonna send into battle first. You know? You're you're the grunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and hopefully I can uh, abate whatever whatever issue arises. But you know, if it, if that doesn't happen and something God forbid happens to me, like I'm relying on my wife to be there to be the last line of defense. You know, yeah. yeah. So it's not that she's like you no know, useless in that department. That's certainly no. not you know i just feel like i'm the head of security but together we are security yeah you there know? you go yeah it's still still teamwork um right. so have you have you evangelized and and converted your whole family or, or what's the makeup there i converted them on certain issues but um not on um you know not like there there there's a lot of diehard democrats in my family and oh interesting i i, I can't break free i can't break them free from that um that mentality because they're 
so indoctrinated. Even the ones that are business owners in my family um, who do everything to avoid paying taxes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, the ones you expect to be libertarian, they'll, they will be the ones voting Democrat. And I just do not understand that at all, man. And um, so I've converted my, my dad. My dad, he's always been uh, like a conservative, but he's always voted Democrat. And um, oh, wow. Yeah, it, it's it's. Uh, it, it wasn't until like around the time that I started um, getting into firearms, which is like around 2012, 2013, maybe around there. Um, that's when we started having political conversations. And so in 20, it, in 2016, when it came time to vote, um, that was my first time uh, voting because I was, I was pro Obama for the other um, uh, 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 elections, yeah. but it was during Obama's second term is where I really started turning on the Democrat Party. And incidentally, that's when I became a gun owner as well. I started learning who are who are my real enemies, you know, yeah. who are the ones that are stopping me from protecting myself. And so me and uh, my dad would engage Ma in Malcolm X guided you on that one. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 100% man. So, so, um, yeah, so me and my dad, we started having those conversations and, um, I planted the seed in my dad and it grew like on his own, you know? So uh, in 2016, he voted for Hillary reluctantly. And then, um, in 2020, this past election, he voted for Trump. <laughs> you know? wow. Yeah, it was really weird. So, but like that created so many issues in my family. Um, that that's the problem like in in hispanic communities uh or, and I, I imagine it's the same in black communities is that if you vote for a republican you are facing backlash and right. it's like undoubtedly going to happen and my family they came down hard <laughs> like oh, really dude, that hard. sucks well yeah. i mean given given the the uh you know kind of diatribes that trump had about about walls and things like that i, I can yeah. understand why that would be offensive so i i don't yeah. really blame them um I, it is interesting right. though that they would continue to vote for you know people that haven't helped them you know it's like right. exactly. it's like wh whether you hate trump or not i can't imagine thinking that hillary clinton is going to be the fix right. so <laughs> right. but you know no, I, these these people in my family like they are like the religious cult <laughs> that we're talking about like I, when my cousin literally told me like a couple of weeks ago he's like when you criticize aoc you're criticizing all of the working class I was like, what are you fucking talking about, bro? <laughs> like, I'm I'm criticizing that crazy ass bitch. Right? I'm not talking about the working class, man, because I was there, man. And I am the working class. You right. know what I mean? Like, I was working jobs way below a bartender. Okay, so like when I criticize uh, AOC, I'm criticizing her ideology. The working class is getting screwed by people like her, man. But like yeah. these people, like they they just deify like all these politicians and and they say crazy shit like that, man. It's like it's hard to come, uh, it's hard to get through to people like that. But the good thing is that when I became a gun owner in my family, um, uh, that kind of like there was a chain reaction. Almost every family, almost every household in my family now um, has guns in them. And oh, that nice. was and that was that was where I did my best like conversion because I would um you know I bought guns and I remember I first started out with like a handgun then a shotgun then an AR-15 and then I had a hunting rifle so I had like a little bit of everything so I would invite them to go to the range and um oh, I, I, that's and the I would, best way I would, to do it oh yeah and I would tell them like you don't have to pay for anything all you have to do is come you can shoot my guns and you know we'll have a good time. Uh, so that just that that alone just converted everyone. So oh, everyone, almost every household has a gun in it. Um, and my dad, I remember for, for Father's Day, I bought my dad um, shooting 
And uh, he was like completely anti-gun at that point. And um, by the time we were done shooting, he was like very pro AR-15. Yeah. <laughs> he was it, like, dude, this is it, the best gun. <laughs> it's, it's tough not to fall in love with those bad boys. Uh, I actually, I got my brother uh, for his 30th birthday. I got him a Remington 870. So nice for, for home defense. And and Perfect. yeah, I'm, I'm an AR guy myself. So I, huge, huge fan. And, and it's, it's funny because I would imagine a, a bunch of those people were, were pretty staunchly anti-gun prior. Yeah. Yep. But you go shoot them and you're like, oh shit, this is dope. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, that is the best way to convert people, I think. Uh, so do you have uh, any, uh, you know, political aspirations? Because it's it certainly, you know, you're, you've grown an audience, you've, you've, uh, mm -hmm. you've messaged in a way that I would certainly support you. And I'm just curious, I, I know that you're, obviously you're branded as Latinos for Liberty. So you're interested in, in increasing the libertarian movement in the, the Latino community. I think that, you know, even though I'm completely against identity politics, it would be yeah, okay. tremendously powerful to have, um, you know, more Latino voices that are actually running for office. Is that of interest to you or is it not so much? Um, it's something that I definitely will entertain. And um, I do have um, aspirations of um, getting into local politics, not here where I'm at right now in Maryland, because um, Maryland is, is, is just a terrible place. And I hate it. Here. <laughs> I've only been here for like a little bit over a year, but it was temporarily um, for my job. Where did you move from? Uh, Pennsylvania. Okay, yeah. So, um, man, that's a swing state. So uh, I plan to do a lot more work there. I'm moving back to Pennsylvania in March, April timeframe. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that's when I plan to like just get to know whatever city I settle down in because I came from Philadelphia. So I don't plan to go back to Philadelphia. I'm going to go to like a Philly suburb. So wherever I end up, I'm going to look at the local politics and get it and start there. Um, I don't really want to jump to the top and uh, and and. I don't even want to attempt to be like mainstream, like in Congress or anything like that. Sure. Um, Cause I just really thoroughly enjoy my privacy <laughs> and, uh, and to, to, to become a, like a Congressman is you're kind of sacrificing all of that. Oh yeah. And, well, not, not only that, but you have a much better chance at the local level. So, and, and right. honestly, we need, we need more local, um, you know, enclaves of safety for right. freedom minded people. So I, I would encourage people to not, not necessarily abandon the federal level, elections but certainly focus uh, right. strongly on on local elections and you got to build from somewhere anyway so it's definitely. a natural starting point definitely and and that's interesting what you mentioned about the identity politics because i actually share the same view uh, i'm not a fan of identity politics and it, and it, and actually you know it's weird because my page is called latinos for liberty <laughs> right know? right and well so, it's just like uh, black lives matter i'm sure i, I would imagine that maj is not a, a huge fan of identity politics either but he right. just he utilizes it you know right right because um that that was my um that was my thing is you kind of you kind of have to meet people where they're at you yeah. know if, if they don't see anything in it for them um you know it's harder to grasp their interest um so and and one thing that i love about libertarianism is that um each and every group in this country like you know uh, wh white Americans black Americans Hispanic Americans libertarian policies affect them differently you mm -hmm. know, so sure. um, there are cases to be made for black Americans where, you know, libertarianism could prove to be beneficial. And, you know, even even in topics that people like really, really hate, like reparations, um, there can be libertarian versions of reparations that don't involve us granting people money, but it could involve us stop taking money from people like, you know, to give them tax breaks, you know, yeah. as reparations. I, I would. I, I love that idea, actually. I, I, mm -hmm. I wouldn't even be opposed to you know, having some sort of like, uh, kind of a, a, you know, like a five-year waiver for any black person that starts a business that's, you know, a descendant right. of slavery, like that would be right. killer and, and kind of a libertarian solution to it where, yeah. 
it <clears throat> it creates the incentive for entrepreneurialism in the black community, which they desperately need. And then it also right. um, diminishes state power by cutting taxes. So I, yeah. I, I don't see any issue with that. That's a great idea. Right. Yeah. And then and then, you know, you look at the Hispanic Americans, um, you know, they they have a lot of issues with um, immigration. Not only that, but there are also a lot of business owners who are Hispanic. So I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like there are there's a lot in the Libertarian Party for them. And, you know, most Hispanics in this country, they don't have issues with um, immigration. So that's not even like something that they all care about. And, you know, some like Puerto Ricans, they're not affected by immigration at all. <laughs> right. So, um, uh, so it's like a, it's it's immigration is just a topic that it's, it's only beneficial for some Latinos, but even for the ones that it's not beneficial for, if they know that the Libertarian Party is against, you know, like uh, throwing people into ICE facilities and they're against separation of children, they know already like, okay, there's a place for me in this party, even though they're not affected by, you know, uh, directly, they'll know like, okay, so this person is against all of those uh, harsh policies, you know, mm -hmm. even if, even if the Libertarian Party, um, does, you know, is not um, like open borders, which I kind of like strayed away from as well as I kind of oriented myself away from the ideologue stance and more towards the pragmatic stance. Mm -hmm. um, so even if there is a border, man, like there, there are so many changes that we could make that are just less harsh and more palatable to the people. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Um, just as a pragmatic solution towards liberty. So I, that's why like my page, Latinos for Liberty, it kind of it's to grab their attention and for them to see what's in it for them, you know? So mm -hmm. it kind of does sound, you know, like identity politics, but that, that it's for that reason. You know, I believe that libertarian solutions um, are applied differently because people have different obstacles. Yeah. And they're at different places in, in the path towards freedom. Like, right. I, I think right. it would be foolish to, to argue that, you know, white people aren't a little bit closer towards the freedom spectrum, just because we don't deal with so much of the, um, negative aspects of the state when it comes to drug enforcement and right. things like that. So, right. um, you know, what, whatever you want to call it, if, if that's identity politics to say that, then so be it. But I, I think it's just an obvious truth. And, um, yeah. you know, honestly, if, if I thought that you were some huge identity politics guy, we probably wouldn't have gotten along as well as we have. So uh, <laughs> that I, I knew it, I knew it early on from following you. I was like, he's not, he's not going that path. He's not, you know, uh, right. you know, demonizing white people for oh, yeah. every ailment of his community. And I was like, well, this is, this is totally reasonable. Like this is right. exactly what a, a libertarian uh, Latino person would, would do. So um, I, I commend you for that. I think that it's, it has been important. I think that Maj Therese's work with Black Guns Matter and things like that are, um, are all steps in the right direction. And, and, you know, as you've said, it's, it's a pragmatic step. Like we, we mm -hmm. whether or not libertarianism will be, uh, you know, in my view, I think it'll be the most beneficial to all people, regardless of, you know, color, creed, whatever, right. um, in the long term. In the short term, you got to take some pragmatic steps like you just have to. So uh, good good on you for for helping with that process, because uh, we need more of it. So uh, if you do run, you got to come back on because I got to hear about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely, bro. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Uh, anything? Oh, I, d I did want to ask you, like, um, what what do you think of Trump's legacy? It looks like he's on his way out. Um, I, I'm just curious to see, uh, you know, obviously you're, you're probably as, as not a fan as I am of, of what he actually accomplished. But um, I do think that there has been a few, a few positives, very, very few prim primarily in um, only in, in talk, not in action. You know, he didn't end, end, end any of the wars um, he didn't end the war on drugs. He did have some uh, criminal justice reform. To, in 
in hindsight, uh, do you think that his his presidency was a failure or kind of? Um, no, I, I I wouldn't say it's a failure. Um, well, maybe it was, but so is every other presidency. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The bar is low. Yeah, the bar is very low. And like every presidency is a failure. So uh, it could have failed much worse with Hillary Clinton in office. And I actually voted for Trump back in 2016. Um, that, sure. that's when I was, I was very anti Obama and I was libertarian already, but I wasn't cemented down like I am now into libertarianism. Right. Um, so I voted for Trump back then. Um, and, uh, I, I became more libertarian by seeing Trump in action because there were things that I disagreed with, but undoubtedly there are things that, um, I do agree with. I did agree with the, um, with the Trump tax cuts. I agreed with the first step program. Um, I agreed with, uh, let's see, um, what was that other one you mentioned? Uh, the First Step Act? Yes, yes. The First um, Step Act, like the criminal justice reform. Um, so yeah, um, I think overall, like I said, every presidency is a failure, but he could have failed much worse. Um, there are good things that I, I definitely admire um, uh, from his presidency. And I love the fact that um, the, the Republican Party had to kind of shift away from like the John McCain, neocon, uh, you know, Republicans and yes. kind of like form like a whole different kind of a party. Um, so I don't, I, 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 there are a lot of things that I do admire from Trump. I'm not one of those people that just hate him just because his name is Trump or because, you know, <laughs> who he is, sure. because of, you know, the, the, who the news told me to be mad at. Definitely <laughs> not one of those people. I, I, I try God. to look at things just from a liberty standpoint, you yeah. know, and so I've become more libertarian under him uh, just because, you know, I, I just don't agree with his, with the, the things that, you know, he has done, the spending bills that he has signed oh and God, yeah. you know, pursuing like red flag laws and, you know, a whole bunch of things, the, the banning of the vapes. And, you know, there are a lot of things that are just inconsistent with Liberty, but the things that I do, I dislike him for are very different from your average Hispanic, you know, right. your average Hispanic, like they're not even thinking about the things that I'm thinking about. They don't give a shit. They just hate them because the news told them to hate them. Yeah. You know? I think, I think that's an interesting question that I'd like to ask you about because he, you know, his, his wall stuff was, was more about, you know, um, America first and keeping jobs here, which is protectionism, which I don't agree with, but it, right. I don't, I never took it as having a really deeply racist undertone. Perhaps his voters had that, but um, from me, from my, from my perspective, Trump is more of just your, your classic protectionist nationalist. Um, right. it, when, when he said, and the quote that was used to, to really drive home the fact that he was a racist bigot was that he said that they're not sending their best. They are sending, rapists and murders and blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, do you think that uh, the way I read that, and obviously there are some criminals that come across the border, that's mm -hmm. obvious. There's criminals yep. in every community. Um, do you think that 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 was, I mean, from, from your end, did that come across as racist? Um, I've never been one to be very like um, easily offended. Um, so that wasn't my, the thing that I immediately jumped to, but it did kind of like um, sting a little bit when i sure. first heard it where he said some of them i assume are good people <laughs> right right yeah that like, was damn, that was really? fucked up some of them like come on bro most of them <laughs> the vast majority like it's just like in any community you know like the I, for, I forgot about that part of the quote that's that is actually the most offensive part now that i <laughs> right. think about it <laughs> right yeah so i'm like the, in any in any community it doesn't matter which one you're looking at the vast majority of the people are good and a small fringe are bad right. you know so to me, it should have been the other way. Some of them, I assume, are bad criminals. Yes. And that would be a true, that would be a very true statement. Yeah. You know? 
but to say some of them are good people. <laughs> so, uh, not, not even some of them are good people. Some of them, I assume, are good people. Right. <laughs> like, like he's not even sure. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that, that was, was fucked that up. Was do you think do you think that's what do you think that's what killed him in the in the Hispanic community? I mean, obviously he did better in the second second go around. Uh, but I think that was largely Cubans. Did he do better in just like the, the Mexican American community or do you know? Um, you mean for the second time around or the first yeah. time? No, no, um, second time around. Uh, the second time around, it appears so. It's, it appears that that has been the case, that he, he garnered a lot of Hispanic support. Um, do, you think, do you think that's a, a, like a knee-jerk reaction to the, uh, to the you know, uh, what, what do they call it? The Latinx and all the, like... <laughs> it could be. It, yeah, it could be. Um, and, you know, a lot of uh, Hispanics, they just don't want to deal with socialism again. Yes. Um, but that's not really something that you hear, like, a lot from Mexicans. But one thing that... One thing about Mexicans is that there, there are tons of Mexican business owners, yep. you know, who want low taxes and they want to be able to operate. And, um, and I think that they, they voted, you know, with their economic interests in, um, in mind, because um, mm -hmm. every, every, you know, everyone knew like the incoming Democrat president is going to be largely influenced by the left, the far left, right. you know, so um, I, I, I suspect that that played a large role in it and maybe even some of them agree with his immigration stances you know um that oh, that's a lot that's something that a lot of people don't factor in is that there are a lot of immigrants that don't believe in um in open, open immigration or yeah. or they're against like what's going on currently like you know with the the immigrants coming in through the border wait um, so you're telling me they're just like us <laughs> <laughs> i'm so surprised yeah. immigrants come over and then they then they become nationalists like oh right. i never i didn't think that that could happen with any other community right right and especially the ones who came here the right way they're they're like of you course know, they went through hell yeah yeah so they see it as like man they're like these people they're, they're just cutting in the line you know i had to wait 10 years right. so um yeah and and oddly enough there's even people in my family who are democrats and they are against like uh, open immigration you know, and um, yeah, it's because I, I told them the Libertarian Party stands and they're like, what? That's crazy. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, yo, you're like bitching this whole time about Trump, <laughs> like what he's doing to these people on the border. But you don't you like you don't want to make it easier. Like what? what like, I don't understand your angle, man. But like these people, a lot of these people are just anti-Trump and that's it. <laughs> oh, interesting. I was going to say it. Perhaps it's uh, kind of the AOC perspective or, or not AOC, the Bernie Sanders perspective where he's. He's very much a nationalist. He's like, we gotta, yeah. we gotta keep these cheap laborers out so we can keep wages high for people right. here. Is that? Do you think that plays a factor, or are they just anti-Trump? No, definitely. Um, it, the one in particular that I think about is my uncle, who's a business owner, uh, who he does things legally because he's an American citizen now, and he's always getting undercut by illegal immigrants. He works in the construction field. Um, so he's always being undercut by illegal immigrants. So I'm, I'm sure that that also plays a, a role. Hell in, yeah. Um, it's, everyone's you know, got self-interest man it doesn't matter what yeah. you look like yep. <laughs> yeah. no this guy no this guy my uncle he will call immigration if you fucking move <laughs> really, like, that, that, that is that's friends. next level man <laughs> yeah, man. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, i personally would never do that but um, no i couldn't either dude i i uh, i'm born and raised in san diego so i i've yeah. and and i'm in the uh you know the lending field so i've had a bunch of foreclosures and i've right. worked with uh, a ton of illegal immigrants, just to be honest, uh, that right. are, are um, tremendous handymen. And, you know, I, I pay them decently, but um, it's still compared to a licensed contractor, which makes it cost prohibitive. They're, right. they're reasonable. You know, you pay them yep. 20, 25, 30 bucks an hour, as opposed to 75 an hour for a guy who's insured and licensed mm -hmm. and all this shit. And it's like, 
and they do, you know, comparable work. So I'm, I'm tremendously, you know, pro uh, Mexican Americans and, and even illegal immigrants. Like I, I don't, I don't, I, uh, what, what bums me out about it is like, these people have, have dealt, uh, I'm not speaking to Mexican Americans so much as I am to actually like illegal immigrant types, but they, Mm -hmm. uh, they have operated in an agorist fashion. Like they, they have operated in a, in a black or a gray market and, and outside the purview of the state. Like these, these should be people that we should be able to, um, to get to, to talk to like they they, they have really lived kind of a, a libertarian lifestyle, whether they like it or not. Um, yeah. you know, hiding from the state. So <laughs> like, yeah, no, that, that's, that's, exactly that's an opportunity. It. That's exactly it. I used to work with them when I, I did construction for three years when I came out of high school and I worked with the only illegal immigrants, you know? So yeah. uh, I would, I would, you know, sometimes I would pick them up or drop them off at their home. And these people like, you know, they didn't make much money, but they made it work. Like they know, they know how to survive. Hell yeah. like, man, there's tons of people out there who um, they can't get a job because there's no jobs available. Uh, but perhaps if there were no minimum wage, they'd be able to do the same thing. They wouldn't be relying on the government. They would pool their money. They'll have like, you know, three or four people in the one bedroom apartment, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they'll, they would make it work. And like, yeah, like those are not ideal conditions, but it's better than having to rely on the government to survive. Yeah. You know? and, and it's fucking courageous. Like that, yeah. that's what upsets me the most about the conservatives that that mm-hmm. demonize uh, illegal immigration or illegal immigrants in particular is like, like these, these are people for the most part that are doing exactly what you fucking ask of them. They're pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps. They, they have risked everything to come across a border with no guarantees of anything at the end end of the rainbow. Then they've, then they've worked their asses off, you know, sometimes 12, 14 hour days for, Mm -hmm. you know, very little wages and on top of that, they send back money and they support their family in Mexico too. Yep. Like these people are fucking heroes, dude. So like, yep. if you, if you have an issue with that, uh, you have an issue with me, you know, like, like just All being right. honest, like I, I, like I said, born and raised in San Diego, these, these are great people for the most part, uh, right. completely contrary to Trump's <laughs> perspective <laughs> on it. Um, so I, I really think that, that, uh, the, the entire outlook on, on that community needs to change. And, you know, I, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not some, woke warrior or anything like that but it's just it's just irritating i guess right right no i agree man 100 percent. anyways um <coughs> i'll get off my soapbox uh, <laughs> uh well i appreciate you coming on man what what's how, how should people uh, follow you find you i'm exclusively on twitter at the moment so me, me it's going to be at latinos for lib and um yep i'll, I'll be there <laughs> yeah it's uh latinos the number four and then yes. lib so uh, give yeah. him a follow. He's a great follow. And uh, yeah, it's great, man. I, I hope to hope to have you on in the future. Yeah, same, man. Same. All right. Appreciate you. I'll talk to you All soon. Right. Take care. Well, what a great talk that was. I just wanted to uh, thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, you guys, the audience has made this show what it is. And uh, the guests have as well. It's been unbelievable, um, the traction that this show has gotten. I am forever grateful. I wanted to thank uh, the guests that have been on this year. Just to lay it out for you guys, we got Latinos for Liberty, uh, Joshua Smith, Joshua at Large, Brad Palumbo, we got Aaron from Timeline Earth, we got Sir Hottest, our, your favorite rapper, uh, Bank of Erica, uh, Checkmate State, aka Kurt the Libertarian, Liberty Imposter, Jesse Nicole B, uh, Freckles from Freckled, uh, Freckles and Liberty, or Freckled Liberty, aka Freckles and Brit, and then uh, Brit, Tweets by Brit, and Maggie, aka Liberty Anders. We got LA Libertarian 1. He came through um, 
it was amazing having everybody on. We got ID Joe for Congress, MD Vet 4, and Mac, a.k.a. Kenzie Puff. That is our entire guest list for the year. I think I'm not forgetting anybody. I hope I'm not, other than the people I had in person, uh, Nathan, Charlie, etc. You guys are amazing. Uh, we are about to break 25,000 downloads, which is significant. <laughs> Definitely not a figure I would assume that I could, I could reach in eight months. Um, but it's, it's because you guys have appreciated and enjoyed the show. You've shared it, you've left reviews and I am just so grateful. I'm so grateful that, you know, this, this outlet for me is huge. It, it, it makes me feel like I'm actually contributing something to the movement. It makes me feel as if, uh, as if there's hope, you know, it, talking to you guys, getting DMS from you guys is a, is a really hopeful thing. So I, uh, I appreciate you, and I will keep them coming. We have a huge lineup for next year, and I think it's only going to go bigger from here. So stay tuned. Subscribe, share. Love you guys. Check you next week. Happy New Year.